making the mind ekagram or single pointed. Yoga Munjat, one should concentrate with mind, one's mind on the object of meditation, Atmavishuddha, for the purpose of purification of the mind. <coughs> so here Lord Krishna says that the meditation is per- performed as a means of purification of the mind. Now meditation can be two ways as we'll see. Either it can be on Saguna Brahma, meaning Lord having attributes as creator, sustainer, dissolver, omniscient, omnipotent, Ishta Devata. In which case it will be, it will be prayerful meditation. It will be mental worship done with a prayerful mind which helps us achieve the grace of Ishvara, which also helps us gain an identification and that brings about purification of mind in terms of the removal of these likes and dislikes. <coughs> also, it makes our self or ego sattvic. This meditation upon Saguna Brahma or Brahman with attributes involves a duality between the meditator and meditated, between devotee and God. And therefore, that meditation of the nature of worship or of prayer will not eliminate ego. However, it will make the ego purified, it will make the ego sattvic. In that way, purification of mind here is of the nature of removing the impurities of likes and dislikes. At the same time, making the ego subtle or sattvic. And then, when meditation is performed on Nirgunam Brahman. What is Nirgunam Brahman? Brahman beyond attributes. And Brahman beyond attributes means the self, understand this. This must become very clear. That Brahman beyond attributes, or God beyond attributes, what they call transcendental. So transcendental means self, understand. Because if it transcends, you know, uh, transcends everything, then of course it can never become an object of our experience and knowledge. So Brahman or God or consciousness beyond names and forms, free from names and forms and attributes, is nothing but the self. Because understand that only self is consciousness, everything else is the object of consciousness. Everything other than the self is naturally the object of my knowledge object of consciousness. And whatever is object of consciousness will always be possessed of some attributes or the other. Whatever I am conscious of will always have some attribute. It may have a form, it may have a name, it may have a quality. Whatever I am conscious of must necessarily have a qualification. Basically, what I am conscious of is a qualification. How about the one who is conscious of the qualifications? The one who is conscious of qualifications must necessarily be without qualifications. For example, the light which illumines different colors, such as this flower which is pink color, these leaves which are green. So light that illumines different colors 
that light must be colorless. Then alone it can eliminate different colors. So also consciousness which objectifies any object having various attributes must itself is compared to light which eliminates the colors. Consciousness eliminates various attributes such as name, form, quality. Therefore, the consciousness that eliminates attributes must necessarily be free from attributes. See, if the light itself were red, then it cannot eliminate red color. To eliminate red color, it must not have redness. To eliminate yellow color, it should not have yellowness. To eliminate various colors, it should be free from colors. And so also for the consciousness to eliminate various attributes. Means various qualifications. Like name, form, quality, the consciousness must necessarily be devoid of those attributes. So there's only one entity that is beyond attributes. And that is the self, understand? So although they talk of Brahman as beyond all attributes, transcendental. See, when other traditions talk of God as transcendental, when they say God is in heavens or in sky, etc., what they mean is that God is transcendental. Meaning it transcends all attributes, names and form. Therefore, there's such an opposition against worshipping God in form. Because how can you assign form to God? He's transcendental. He's beyond all the forms and attributes. But if God is transcendental, meaning that he's beyond somewhere, he can never become an object of our knowledge. Because whatever we can know is always going to have some attributes. And so that God can never become object of knowledge even after death also because wherever you are, suppose you go to paradise with this body or some body. Then also if you are to see God, if that God is transcendental, you can never objectify him. Transcendental can never be objectified. That alone is called transcendental, that alone is called beyond attributes which cannot be objectified. Yes, we say God is transcendental, no doubt. is immanent as well as transcendental, meaning is all pervasive as well as beyond everything. But the transcendental is not something different from me, it is my own self. Therefore, you don't have to experience God. See, when Vedanta talks about Brahman, Brahman doesn't have to experience it is my own self. I just have to recognize what it is rather than creating an experience because Brahman is consciousness, the self is consciousness, is self-effulgent endeavor, always experienced. There cannot be an experience unless you experience yourself, is it not so? For any experience, I must be there, the experience must be there. So I is always experience, I mean that I am is a matter of experience, is, is, you know, no effort is required to know that I am. How do you know I am? How do you know that you are? Hey, are you there? Yes, I am here. How do you determine you are there? Are you there? Let me see whether I am there or not. Should I, should I, I mean, you know, pinch myself? Let me see if I am, should I see myself? Should I touch myself? What do I require in order to decide, determine that I am? Well, let me think whether I am there or not. But I can think only when I am. I can pinch only when I am. All these things are possible 
prove that I am. That I am is a self-shining, self-evolving fact. Thank God. If God was only transcendental, you will have never known and if it would not matter to us really. If you, if you ne- it's never experienced, never a part of your life, it doesn't matter if there is there or not. There are so many black holes and all kinds of stuff is there, which never figure in your life, doesn't matter if they are there or not. If they figure in your life, then of course it matters. So understand that transcendental God is always involved in your life because it's your own self. There cannot be an experience that can, without self, which is Brahman, which is God. That very same self, very same God or consciousness, alone manifests as what we call this material world of names and forms. So the difference between scientists and Vedantin is, scientist says that consciousness is the property of matter, that by combination, some kind of a combination of matter, consciousness is created. Vedantin says this, Matter is a manifestation of consciousness. How do you prove? You can't prove either of them really. Scientists think that they're proving. You can't prove. To say that consciousness was created some million years ago when there was a primordial soup, you know. How do you say consciousness was created? We say that consciousness became manifest. When you switch on the light and the bulb is glowing, you can't see electricity is created. Electricity which is there was not manifest, it became manifest. Anyway, the point is that what is consciousness is and what is is consciousness. Therefore, even transcendental also can become the object of meditation by way of meditating upon the self or meditating upon the meditator. We call it contemplation, not meditation in terms of objectification. So meditation upon Lord with attributes involves objectification, involves visualization, involves the functioning of the mind. And you maintain a given thought of Shiva, Krishna, Om Namah Shiva, it can be even a name, it can be a mantra. Whereas, meditation upon the self involves seeing the, na- seeing the nature of the self, not objectifying the self, but seeing the nature of self. <coughs> Therefore, meditation is of two kinds. One is, meditation of the nature of mental worship or prayer, which is called upasana. Second is meditation upon the very self. Our Swamiji likes to use with the contemplation. Just to distinguish from distinguish it from meditation, uses the word contemplation. But then, therefore, meditation upon nirguna brahman or meditation upon brahman beyond the guna has to be as the self. It cannot be as something different from myself. Because whatever is different from myself is going to be limited. So, Atma Vishuddha, both these kind of meditations are, bring about what we call purification of mind. 
meditation upon Ishtadevata such as Sri Krishna or, or Lakshanamurti or whatever, brings about purification in terms of removal of the remnants of likes and dislikes and making the ego subtle or subdued. And then meditation upon Brahman is the very self brings about the purification in terms of completely resolving the ego. Or brings about purification in terms of becoming free from the identification from this body-mind complex, what we call the viparita bhavana or the hatha buddhi or the habitual error of identifying with the body. <coughs> the point is that meditation does not produce a new knowledge. Meditation is as a result of knowledge. You can contemplate upon what you already know. Or you can meditate upon what you already know. Therefore Lord Krishna says, Yunjat Yogam Atma Therefore, you meditate for the purification of self, meaning purification of mind. <coughs> Therefore, in order for a person to perform meditation of the nature of worship or prayer, there must be the knowledge of who I want to pray. So if you want to meditate upon Lord Dakshamurti, then you would know about Lord Dakshamurti, about his form, about his glories, and accordingly you'll be able to fix your mind and maintain this, the train of those thoughts. For contemplating about the self, it will be necessary also to know the self through Shravanam, Mananam. Having listened to the teacher, having listened to Vedanta, Upanishads, having reflected upon that, having understood what the nature of self is, then one can contemplate upon the self. <coughs> having said that, Lord Krishna gives some more instruction in the 13th verse with reference to the position of the body, etc. So the 13th verse tells us, Samam Kāyashiro Grīvam Dharayannachalam sthiraha Samprekshanasikagram swam Dishaschanam lokayanna Prashantatma vigata bhihi Brahmachari vrate sthitaha Manasayamya machittaha Yukta asita matparaha Also, by the way, Lord Krishna says, Samam kaya shirogrivam While meditating, holding the samam in a straight line, kaya, the trunk, Shiraha, the head, Grivam, the neck. The trunk, the neck and the head should be held in a straight line. Dharan, Achalam should also be steady and not moving. Sometimes people have a habit of moving. You know when they, when they do some chanting, 
when they do, you know, uh, some prayer, then there's a habit also of sometimes moving the body. So one Mahat Swamiji was telling, says, uh, there was another Brahmachari, every day he was performing, he was reciting this Devi Mahatma, you know, this Saptasha, Durga Saptasha. So this Swamiji saw this fellow, while reciting, all he was doing, he says, come on, stop it. Keep your body straight. When the fellow did that, he forgot everything, you know. He could not recite because there was some kind of, uh, you know, a synchronism, I guess, with movement of the body and his reciting. Maybe that's okay, but as far as while performing meditation, is always, it is necessary that the body should be steady because the movement of the body also has in effect upon disturbing the mind. Therefore, Lord Krishna says, dharyan achalam sthiraha steady as well as without any motion. So this is also so that the center of gravity of the body also remains in the middle so that without your effort the body can just remain in this position. Because while you are in fact focusing your attention upon the object of meditation, at that time your attention is not on the body. And therefore, it will happen that you lose the consciousness of the body because your mind is filled with consciousness upon what you want to meditate. At that time there may not be a conscious attempt to maintain the position of the body. So therefore the body must be so positioned that it remains itself in the position if its center of gravity is in the middle, as low as possible. Therefore, the, the, the posture in which you sit is like the lotus posture, etc., or siddhasanam as they call it, where the base is quite wide. So base is wide and the body is straight so that the center of gravity also is as low as possible as in the center as possible, so that the body can maintain its own balance without drooping, falling, etc. Because when that happens, again you get disturbed. So it is desirable that that you do not, the body does not become a source of disturbance to you. Or as I said, the body should not be an issue. By aches and pains and stuff like that also, body, that is why these yogasana etc. are prescribed so that the body enjoys a certain harmony so that during meditation that does not remain an issue. And also choose a place which is free from mosquitoes and, and insects and stuff like that, although they can also disturb. Choose a place which is not too hot, not too cold, not damp, you know, so all these also are prescribed so that those things do not disturb you while you are performing your meditation. Dharyan achalam sthiraha Now, having done that, then Lord Krishna says a very interesting thing. Sampreksha nasikagraṁ swam Looking at one's, the tip of one's own nose, Lord Krishna says, now, look at the Look at the tip of the nose. Swam nasikagram. One's own tip, not somebody else's, but one's own tip of the nose. In the fifth chapter, 
at the end of the fifth chapter, Lord Krishna also uh, stated, told three verses summarizing meditation. Then Lord Krishna said, Bhur Madhye Pranavesh Bhur Madhye. So you focus your attention in the place and the spot between the two eyebrows. So sometimes they say that, may you focus your attention in the, in the spot between the two eyebrows. Here Lord Krishna says, may you fix your gaze at the tip of the nose. Whether tip is here or there also, you know, but then tip of the nose. The idea is that this is to be done for some time for gathering and concentration of the mind. When the pupils are steady, then they also have the effect of steadying the mind. When the mind is restless, you see the pupils also person, you know, the, the pupils also move in different directions. And therefore, if you make your pupils steady, how to make them steady? One way is by gazing at the tip of the nose, as Lord Krishna says. Or by focusing your, or, or gazing at the tip of the, a point between the eyebrows. Sometimes it gives you a headache and things like that, so you have to see what, what suits you. But idea is to make the mind steady by making the eyes also steady, that's all. Then you can close the eyes. It's not recommended that you should perform meditation with eyes open, because then it is possible that the, the movements around can also distract you, or the forms and things can distract you. Therefore, it is desirable that the eyes are closed. <coughs> Although some people report, Swamiji, as soon as I close my eyes, the mind starts wandering. If it helps you to keep your eyes gazing at, a, at, a, at the tip of the nose, helps you do that. That's okay. But then, we are not here going to meditate upon the tip of the nose, understand? So gazing at the tip of the nose doesn't mean that you are meditating upon the tip of the nose. That is just a little technique. So teachers sometimes suggest certain techniques of just quietening the mind or concentrating the mind. One Swami used to say that one of the methods you can employ is that your tongue in your mouth should not touch anything. Keep your tongue such that it does not touch the palate, does not touch the bottom, doesn't touch the teeth, does not touch anywhere. That will help you to concentrate your mind also. Or there are other methods also of concentration that one can take some deep breath and then observe, simply observe the process of breathing. Without interfering the breathing process, simply observe. And by doing that also, mind becomes quiet. <coughs> so different methods are employed, sometimes necessary, different techniques. A technique can be helpful in terms of focusing or concentrating the mind. <coughs> Sampreksha nasika gramsvam disascha anavalokayan. And then, if you are if you're gazing the tip of the nose, then Lord Krishna says, do not look around in different directions. Because when eyes are open, then there is always curiosity. The mind is a very curious thing. And the ever just wants to be 
kept informed of what's around. Therefore, through years also, when you hear sound, it just pays attention. Hey, who has come? Who is talking? Or the eye that says something, immediately it wants to know what's going on there. Therefore, Lord Krishna says that keep away from this kind of curiosity and make it very clear to your mind that right now the only agenda I have is meditation and nothing else. <coughs> so all of this is said by way of preparation for meditation. Then also further Lord Krishna says, Prashantatma. Now this verse 14 talks about the meditator. The earlier verses told us about the preparation for meditation and also the posture of body, etc. Now, what is, what's the nature of meditation or what should be the disposition of the meditator himself? Lord Krishna says, Prashantatma, Vigatabhihi, Brahmachari, Vratesthita, Prashantatma, one whose mind is completely tranquil, Prakarshana, Shanta, Atma means Antahkaran. So one whose mind is tranquil, Prashantatma. Vigatabhihi, one who is free from all the fears. Brahmachari, Vratesthita, a person who is established in the vow of Brahmacharya. Brahmacharya means celibacy, etc. Manasanyamya, and controlling the mind, machittaha, becoming one whose mind is focused on me, yuktaha asidamatparaha, Lord Krishna says that machittaha, becoming focused on me, matparaha, with the desire only to attain me, asita, one should sit down and meditate in this manner. So first is Prashantatma, meaning that our antahkaram, our mind, should be made tranquil. What disturbs the mind, as we've been saying, are the raga and dveshas. The likes and dislikes disturb the mind. Therefore, the first step can be that I make my mind free from likes and dislikes by what they call pratipaksha bhavana. If disturbing thoughts do occur in the mind, if they don't occur in the mind, if the mind is quiet or tranquil to begin with, then one doesn't have to worry about it. But how, however, while being in meditation, because what has happened is that before meditation maybe I was doing something or the other, and it's possible that the effect of that thinking process continues to remain for a while. If that is so, then it's possible that the mind is not quiet right away when I start meditation. In which case, it is necessary that the mind should be first made tranquil. Raga and Dvesha, attachment, aversion. If they arise in the mind, they should be neutralized by what we call Pratipaksha Bhavana. Pratipaksha Bhavana, as we explained, is deliberately taking the opposite position. When a disturbing thought arises, such as a thought of anger may arise, for whatever reason, because the samskaras are there, the past experiences are there, 
and past experiences have left many impressions in the mind, it is possible that those impressions may bring about certain thoughts at this time. And then, then what we need to do is to neutralize that disturbing thought. As I said, where thought of anger arises, then neutralize that by the thought of forgiveness, by the thought of compassion. <coughs> this is the story in the Burhudarnika Upanishad tells us about this method of Pratipaksha Bhavana. This story also you heard, but I, anyway, for so, those of you who not heard, I'll, I'll just tell you briefly. The Burhudarnika Upanishad describes that Prajapati, the creator, has had these three kinds of progenies. The Deva, Devata are the gods who live in the heavens, Dhanava the demons who live in the nether worlds, and Mara the human beings who live on the earth. Three worlds are there. The heavens, the earth, and the Patala the nether worlds. The gods, the humans, and the demons. These are the, these are threefold progeny of Prajapati or Brahma the creator. So once upon a time, all these people thought, let us go to the Creator, to our great-grandfather, and let us ask for some instruction, some upadesha, some teaching, which can be helpful to us in our day-to-day life. So all these three send their representatives. They went to Brahmaloka, where Brahmaji resides. They went there, stayed there for a period of time. When you go to ashram, then you should naturally follow the rules of the ashram. The food is simple, generally, you know. So, here in fact they say we get food better than the home, but anyway. Some you eat too much here. In one week they put on two or three kilograms of weight. Usually food in the ashram is simple. There is no tea and no coffee and stuff like that in the typical ashram. Suprashantatma, one whose mind is free from the Ragadvesha, we are talking about that story as to how the Devatas, Dhanavas, Manavas went to Brahmari, lived there a life of austerity and penance for a period of time, and then they were invited by Brahmaji one after the other, one by one. First the Devatas are invited, and Brahmaji asked them, hey, what for have you come here? Sir, you come here to seek some instruction from you which can be helpful in our day-to-day life. So Brahmaji said, the. He said one letter, the. Hey, did you understand what I say? Yes, sir. You said the, which means dhamyata, have self-control. Because the devutas live in the heavens. They have all the objects of pleasure available. Therefore, the life is usually pleasure-seeking, life of indulgence, which is called karma. Karma means not just the desire, but the tendency to indulge. When I cannot control my desire, or I cannot control my impulse, that is called karma. So, devutas are characterized by those having this tendency to indulge. And when that happens, the self-control, or control the self, atma-sayama, check your mind, control it. Then came the dhanavas, the demons came, 
they also were told that. They understood, yes sir, you mean dayadham, have daya, have, have compassion. Because the dhanava, the demons are very cruel. Anger and cruelty is very common to them. And therefore, Brahmaji said that, dayadham, have daya, have compassion. Meaning whenever anger arises, then neutralize it by compassion. Then the human beings went. They also were told that the human being understood that the, may you give, may be may be generous, may be charitable. Because human beings are very greedy. Greedy means not being satisfied with what they have, the same time not parting with what they have. Because of a sense of insecurity. So thus Brahmaji gave the Pratipaksha Bhana, the method of neutralizing these three kinds of vrittis or the thoughts or the negative thoughts that arise, kama, krodha and loha. This tendency to indulge. Control always have the boundaries and make sure that you do not go beyond the boundaries. Krodha, replace it, you know, diffuse it by compassion, forgiveness. Loha, Greed diffused by generosity, charity, lightheartedness. <coughs> so similarly also thus we can, as I said, when we find any of these vrittis or thoughts arising in the mind at the commencement of meditation, then we can, by this method of pratipaksha bhavana, or deliberately assuming the opposite position, neutralize them and thus quieten the mind. <coughs> Prasantatma, vigata bhihi, May the mind become free from fear. Apparently, make the mind free from fear, in case fear arises, in case. Sometimes fear arises in the mind of a person. Because if you are deeply concentrating, then you lose the awareness of a body. And then sometimes a person feels that I am going away. Because I equate my existence with that of the body. When awareness of the body is not there, one feels there, I am dying, I am going. So, Lord Krishna says, do not worry, nothing is going to happen to you. You are not because of body, body is because of you. And therefore, you must, you very much remain, even when you are not aware of the body. <coughs> Somebody thinks that he is going out of the body, that kind of thing doesn't happen, you are in here. That may be a feeling. Never make the mind free from fear. <coughs> also, have faith in the Lord that He takes care of you, and therefore there is no need for, for fear. <coughs> fear can occur due to different reasons, but then make the mind free from fear. In case that is an issue, if there is no fear, nothing to worry about. <coughs> Brahmachari vratesthitaha. Another thing that is said about the meditator is that one who is thitaha, one who is established in Brahmachari vrata, in a life of Brahmachari. Brahmachari really means a student, the one who lives with the teacher. And life of the student is characterized by serving the teacher. Of course, following the vow of celibacy, brahmacharya. 
going out and getting bhiksha for the teacher. So brahmachari vratesthita means it is not at that particular moment, but this person is living a life of a brahmachari, meaning he is living the life of an aspirant who is devoted to his teacher, who is devoted to Ishvara or God, with a commitment to pursue the knowledge of worship, who also lives a life of celibacy and life of non-indulgence. So that kind of lifestyle also is, should be there for it to be compatible to this meditation. So, Brahmachari Vratesthitaha. I mean, I don't know why does Lord Krishna mention it here because what relevance it has to the process of meditation. Not at that time he is doing any, you know, at that time he is going to Bhiksha and serving the teacher. Brahmacharya means serving the teacher, living with the teacher, serving the teacher, getting the Bhiksha. So Shankarajari says, Brahmacharya Brahmacharyam Guru Sushra Bhiksha Bhuktyadi. Guru Sushrusha, serving the teacher, Bhiksha Bhuktyadi, eating the food that is begged, you know, and not cooked, etc. Meaning that the meditator should recognize that his, his or her life should be life of austerity. Through life of austerity, life of simplicity, life of penance, life of service, life of devotion. All that should be there because all that kind of life and the kind of mind that it generates is very helpful for meditation. Then, manasayamya, controlling one's mind, making the mind free from all the thoughts of the sense objects, etc., all external thoughts. Matchittaha, matchittaha and matparaha. So, matchittaha, thinking of me, matparaha, having me as ultimate goal. So Lord Krishna says, the meditator should think of me. Now we can choose what we want to think of. Whatever it is that we have chosen as the object of meditation, that is what we should think of. That is called meditation when we maintain a steady, steady flow of thoughts of the object of meditation. One definition is sajatya vritti pravaha, sajatya vritti pravaha. Vutti Prabhava means the thought of flow having the same subject matter. Suppose, for example, mentally you are repeating this mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, then every thought is the same jati. The, the, the previous thought was Om Namah Shivaya, present thought is Om Namah Shivaya, following thought also is Om Namah Shivaya, meaning that Every thought is the same kind. And thus maintaining this flow of thought of the same kind without interruption from other kinds of thought is called dhyanam or meditation. So this is what the meditator is attempting to do, to maintain that thought flow. We said earlier that this is very helpful and this one should do well, usually the mind has habit of thinking anything and everything with no consistency. It keeps on jumping from one thought to the other. There's no discipline at all. And therefore, we can provide a discipline to the mind also. That it is deliberately made to focus upon one thought. It is always very helpful 
If we choose the object of meditation as a form of Lord, let us say, to begin with, where, about which, we have reverence and devotion. And therefore, people sometimes ask so many, which is, which mantra is the best? That mantra is the best which invokes in you a devotee. Because the one who should perform this meditation of worship, mental worship, should be a devotee. So is Gayatri Mantra the best? It may be the best. But if I, when I recite Gayatri Mantra, it doesn't do anything to me. On the other hand, if I read Ram Ram, suppose it invokes the devotion in me. Because of my association, that is why the concept is to Devata. Devata means a form of God, a deity. Ishta means one that is desirable or one that is worshipful. Therefore, a form such as Rama, Krishna, Shiva, Lakshmi, Devi, anyone, for which I have devotion, I have reverence and devotion. And one can make an effort also to in fact cultivate devotion. If you want to cultivate devotion for Lord Rama, for example, then, then repeat, then, then read Ramayana. So read about, make yourself familiar about the glories of Rama, his greatness, dharma. So Ramayana describes the greatness of Lord Rama. So the, this Mahatma Jnana, the knowledge of the greatness of the Ishvara has the effect of invoking the devotion because we do, we do discover devotion for someone who is very reverential, who is worshipful, who is great. Therefore, learning about the greatness or glories of the Ishtadevata. That is the reason why these Puranas are very important. Reading about or listening to Katha or the, the Leela, the sports of the Lord, His heroic deeds, His compassion, His commitment to values, all of this is very beautifully described in different Puranas. And therefore it's a good idea to study or keep in touch with the Purana of the Ishta Devata. If Lord Krishna is Ishta Devata, then Bhagavata Puranam or if Vishnu, Lord Narayana, then also Bhagavatam or Vishnu Puranam. If Shivji is Ishta Devata, Shiva Puranam is there and so forth and so on. <coughs> so you know you are familiar with the Lord. You are familiar with the glories about the greatness. And therefore by uttering that very name, Shiva or Rama or Krishna, all that you know about that deity also is reminded and that is how in, in, in the spirit of worship is arise in the mind and the devotee is invoked from me. Therefore, for worshipping, it is important that a devotee is invoked from me. It is a devotee who should perform the worship and not just, a, 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 you know, a, 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 uh, an, an indifferent, uninvolved person. So, Machitha, Lord Krishna is thinking about me. Now, by me, it is not meant just Lord Krishna, the particular form. If Lord Krishna happens to be your Ishtadevata, then that. But whoever Ishtadevata, because we know very well that all the various devutas are nothing but the manifestation of one Ishwara, one God. And therefore, we are only worshipping Ishwara or God through any devata. 
Every devata represents only, ultimately, Saguna Brahma or Ishvara. <coughs> so, mat chittaha, mat paraha. Also, what is the purpose for which I am meditating? What's the goal of this meditation? Says, mat paraha, may you look upon me as the ultimate goal. Meaning that, you are worshipping me for my sake. You are worshipping me, not for getting some benefit from me. I mean, we go and we, we go to the temples, we worship Lord and make all kinds of demands of prayers. So, Lord, please do this to me and give me this and so forth. Which is okay. But that's then, that, then it is not really worship. It is worship always, what we call sakama, worship with, with desire. In that case, the desire will be fulfilled, but then we remain again as inadequate, or we remain still only seekers and beggars. Therefore, the worship should ideally be without any demands for compensation for what I do. Therefore, matparaha. Lord Krishna says that, while worshipping me, do not ask for any benefit from me, worship me for my sake. How would you like if someone praises you and, you know, and say all kinds of good things to you, and when you are pleased, says, Swamiji, may I have, will you please give me this donation? Will you please do this to me? When, when they, when they please you for getting some benefit from you, <coughs> some people get upset, Swamiji, he is using me. So, they say that they are using me, they are using my position. So flatter somebody, make him favorably disposed to you, and then ask for the favor. That's what we do when we go to temples. Go to Tirupati. Every year he goes to Tirupati and puts some gift also there, Hundi. And then Tirupati. Lord, please help me to get this contract, help me get this business. Which he will have. Fortunately, God happens to be large-hearted, infinite-hearted. He doesn't mind being exploited. Otherwise, we are using Him, really. You go to Him for the sake of money, or you go to Him for some, some material benefit. So then, who is important? Is Tirupati God important, or that thing is important? Apparently, we are worshipping Him, but keeping some other goal in mind. So, Lord Krishna says, no. Worship me for my sake. That means that you do not want anything other than me from me. He would like that. So, mat chittaha, mat paraha. So, this is how the process of meditation. Two things are told here. Mat chittaha, mat paraha. What is meant by meditation is mat chittaha, maintaining a thought flow of the object of meditation, which can be saguna brahma, which can be ishta devata, which is Brahman or God, with attributes. Because in the beginning the mind has fascination for a form, it has fascination for name, it has fascination for some attributes. It's a good idea also to begin the meditation with Saguna Brahman. And then slowly to, slowly to slide into what we call the meditation upon Nirguna Brahman, the self. Thus in a typical session of meditation, one can begin with meditating upon Om Namah Shivaya or any name. 
Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namo Narayana, Om Namo whatever you want. That is, meditating upon Ishtadevata. That's how the mind becomes calm, it becomes devoted, and becomes concentrated upon the mantra. And then slowly, one can learn, concentrate upon the meaning of the mantra. Om Namah Shivaya, salutations to Lord Shiva. So Lord Shiva means Lord with a particular form and attributes. But ultimately, what is Lord Shiva? Lord Shiva is nothing but auspiciousness, is nothing but ananda, is nothing but knowledge or consciousness, and therefore every name stands for both Saguna Brahma as well as Nirguna Brahma. It is up to us to invoke what we want. From any deity we can invoke Saguna Brahma or we can invoke Nirguna Brahma. So first start with invoking Saguna Brahma and then contemplate upon what the name stands for, what's the content of the name. Every name ultimately means Nirguna Brahman, it needs, means consciousness, it means Satchidananda, it means the Self. Namaha. Then that Namaha results into ultimately surrendering, meaning completely dissolving my ego, that Namaha culminates into identity, namely, I am Shivaha. I am Shiva. Then that meditation turns into contemplation. No more now meditating upon something different from myself, but now contemplating upon my own nature that I am Shiva. Based on all the shravanam etc. that I have done, then one can contemplate upon one's own self. And that is conducive to removing the final impurity in terms of looking upon myself as jiva. Question was asked, Swami, what's the difference between jiva, atma and paramatma? When I'm meditating, I'm a jiva, atma, but then I contemplate, I'm paramatma. What's the difference between jiva, atma and paramatma? Difference between an ornament and gold? As long as the ornament thinks that I'm just an ornament or a bangle, so long it looks that, it feels it is confined to a name and form. When the ornament shifts its identification from name and form to what it really is, then it can say, I am gold. So in the beginning, ornament can remain as an ornament and surrender to gold or worship gold. And then it can say that I am gold. So thus, the meditation can be, can begin with worshipping Saguna Brahma, what we call a prayerful meditation, which can culminate into what we call contemplation or meditation upon one's own self, seeing the fact that Shiva is my nature, seeing the fact that Satchidananda is I am, based on what we have done during Shravanam and Vanam. <coughs> Yukta Hasid. One may thus concentrate one's mind, seated, and as Lord Krishna will say later on, don't think of anything else, thinking of the self and nothing else. <clears throat> what happens is stated in the 15th verse, we'll see uh, tomorrow morning. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti Shanti Shanti
ಶಂಕರಾಚಾರ್ಯಣ ಸೂತ್ರಭಾಷ್ಯಕೃತ ವಂದೇ ಭಗವಂತೋ ಗುರುರಾತ್ಮೇದಿ ಮೂರ್ತಿಭೇದಿಭಾಗಿಣೆ ವ್ಯೋಮವ್ಯಾಪ್ತೇಹಾ ದಕ್ಷಿಣಾಮೂರ್ತೇ 